My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Imagine growing up in a state where comprehensive sex ed in schools is literally not allowed, and much of the information you hear about sex doesn't exactly fit your orientation or seem helpful at all. Would you go against the grain and create a program yourself? Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and today's guest did precisely what I described super early in her adult life and has since gone on to create something equally magical. You'll also hear about a listener's secret hair fetish and a related situation with her guy she's wondering how in the heck to navigate. Before we dive in, a quick reminder to sign up for occasional Girl Boner updates at augustmclaughlin.com or girlboner.org. You can also now find Girl Boner, The Good Girl's Guide to Sexual Empowerment, my new book on Amazon and in stores, including Barnes & Noble. My heart almost exploded when a friend sent me a photo of the book on a stand at the Grove, like right out in front, and I had to like stare at it and look at it again in the morning because I was completely blown away. It's like, is this real? So if you enjoy or appreciate it, Reviews on Amazon would be so, so helpful, especially given that the book was actually hidden from Amazon search for over a week recently, including release day. So if you searched and couldn't find Girl Boner, you went to Amazon, put it in, and you're like, why isn't it here? Now you can find it. So thankfully, it's been fixed. And it gave me huge empathy for sex workers and sex educators who've been shadow banned elsewhere. It's also, I think, an affirmation that this type of work and supporting it, listening to and enjoying sex positive education and podcasts is super important. So I wanted to thank you all, whether you're listening for the first time or the 200th time. Thank you so much with all my heart. If you followed along here for a while, you may have noticed that I seldom do product specific interviews unless they're sponsored. And of course, even then, I'm really selective about choosing companies to advertise who I really believe in. But today's show is a little different in that Juicebox, the company you're going to hear about, is not a sponsor, but I love it so much I wanted to share the founder's story and dig into what they offer, as well as takeaways that I think apply to so many areas of our lives. Brianna Rader, founder of Juicebox, joined me to explore not only her journey, but the company as well as unique challenges of starting a sex-positive business, which I relate to, and surprising things she's learned from people who use the Juicebox app. Thank you for joining me, Brianna. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. I'd love to hear a little bit about your personal journey. What do you remember learning about sex and sexuality when you were a kid? Well, I grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee, so I'm sure everybody knows Tennessee is a much more conservative area than Los Angeles. So it was very abstinence-focused, only wait until marriage. We didn't even learn the basics around condoms or birth control. It's actually illegal in the state of Tennessee to teach comprehensive sex ed, meaning you can't touch even the basics. And so that was my context growing up. And then I actually stayed in Tennessee for college. And while in university, I actually founded a local organization to provide sex ed to college students in Tennessee. Because I think growing up Tennessee and also being queer, it just made me ask very specific questions about 
sex ed and sexuality that I think a lot of my peers weren't necessarily asking. And then in college, I saw these really smart women that didn't even know basic things like how to access birth control. So that's why I founded my my first organization in Tennessee. And it was actually super controversial. The state actually got involved. They defunded my organization and they passed a bill legally condemning myself and the organization. It just kind of blew up. And I was on the Bill O'Reilly show. It just went really, really crazy. And that was my first experience in the field of sex education and sexuality. And I realized like how difficult these conversations are for a lot of people. I commend you so much for sticking to it and also for raising your voice in a place where I'm sure you you sensed would not be particularly welcome by a lot of people, but you also knew how necessary it was. There must have been some positive influence. Where did you get the... Did you have family or loved ones who were like, yes, do this? Did you have any support? Well, I think my family was very supportive. They weren't the most open or liberal people. We we never had a conversation about sex education or sex 101 or anything like that growing up in my family. But my first relationship was with, I identify as bi, so I dated a young guy named Logan, and he was bi as well. And so through that experience, I think, you know, we're in kind of rural areas of Tennessee and we're the only queer people we know. And I think we both kind of discovered our sexuality together. And so through that, I felt like I had a tiny support system with just him within the, you know, more conservative straight culture I was in in Tennessee. But I think that definitely helped open my eyes early on. And that's kind of what encouraged me to get involved in the organization and the work I did. And how are you getting your own education in a place where it's so restricted? I think in the beginning, Logan and I would just go and read books or Google on the internet, but it was just a, you know, a disaster, really. And that's when I realized that it's so unfair. There's so few resources. And it's not even just for when you're young, right? We need this kind of education information for your entire, you know, stages of your life. Like when you're 40, you need different things when you're 18. And when you're not learning it when you're 18, that results in problems when you are 30 or 35. And so that's really why I moved on and started working on Juicebox. That's so inspiring. And I love that you're thinking about the whole lifespan, too, because, you know, I've met people in their 60s, 70s, 80s who are just discovering their sexuality because they have had so many limitations and knowing that we can always be learning. That's huge, which I know education is a big piece of Juicebox, too. Would you share what Juicebox is? Yeah, so after grad school, I was really always drawn to public health and sex education, but I realized that the public policy battle would be decades long and being a professional working with like one patient at a time wasn't very appealing to me. So I was drawn to technology as a way to be very accessible, very affordable, and impact many people at once. So that's when I created Juicebox. It's an app for iPhones in the App Store And we provide one-on-one sex, dating, and relationship coaching anonymously. And this is with professionals who are counselors, educators, PhDs in human sexuality. And they're available always within 24 hours from your phone. And it's completely accessible seven days a week. And is this a platform where people sign up for like a monthly plan or would you just have one question? Well, actually, we try to make it really flexible for everyone. So the app's completely free to download, and we have a couple free features where you can ask, like you said, just the one question, and we answer the ones that get the most upvotes. 
But the actual one-on-one coaching where you where you get this personal guide just for you, that is actually pretty flexible. It's only $24 per week. So you can use it for two weeks and cancel, or you can use it for a couple months and cancel. And people come back and forth, like sometimes they're in a rough patch. And so they subscribe for a few weeks. And so we try to make it completely flexible. I think monthly can be a little too restrictive for people. That's so awesome. I have personally used an online platform, a therapy platform, and I was really struck by how personal it felt because I wasn't sure. I thought, is this going to be some robotic voice that comes through to me? Or And to me, it was having support in my pocket, like whenever I wanted it. It sounds like you're providing that sort of convenience, which is important for people who have, you know, an inability to um, afford conventional treatments or therapies or support. And also, if you have a really crazy schedule, you you can't mm-hmm. take time off of work. Um, I think that's really amazing. And to be part of the pulse of your life, too. Because I found, too, I've been in a lot of therapy in my life. And when <laughs> I would go, like, once a week, so much can happen mm-hmm. in a week. Yeah, completely. I mean, that's why it's, it's from your phone. You can message your coach many times per day just as feelings or thoughts come up. And they always get back to you within 24 hours. But I think all, all, all the things you said around flexibility are completely true. And these professionals charge sometimes $200 an hour outside of Juicebox. So we try to make it completely as accessible with that $24 per week rate. That's really nice. So it sounds like you've learned a lot from the types of questions that you get and the interactions, the kind of data that you've collected. What are some of the most surprising mm-hmm. things you've learned Well, I think I sort of expected people to use it for only like, oh, women that have never had an orgasm and we're going to help all these women orgasm. But I think it's actually been really fun to see the range of how people use it. So we'll have guys come in with erectile issues and then actually the conversation evolves into how he's never had a conversation with his wife about what she likes in bed and they've been married for 20 years. And so Juicebox has been able to like prompt them to have that conversation. And it's really cool to see how clients evolve. So everything from that performance anxiety, we do of course get women that haven't had an orgasm we get queer couples that are struggling with, you know, their sex life. Also, a lot of single people that just want help dating because we can do everything from online dating profile reviews to helping with text messages to just being like that cheerleader in the room that you need when maybe you're feeling down about your dating life. And then I think differing desire levels within couples is like a really huge topic that I didn't think would come up as often as it has. Yeah, I've heard so much about that, too, from across the gender spectrum, people who feel shame around that and from either side where they feel like they aren't able to meet their partner's needs or they feel like they want a lot more sex than their partner does. And oftentimes the questions I get, at least, tend to have a kind of a theme of, like, what's wrong with me? Or am I normal? Yeah, definitely. Am I normal is almost with every single client we see. I think the biggest thing of what part of what we do at Juicebox is helping people communicate. Because if you can't talk about these topics intimately with your partner, then no matter what toy or lube or trick you know, it's really going to help your sex life. Mm -hmm. So really our mission is helping people talk about sex to, you know, create a more pleasurable world. And what we found is that Yeah, if you read a blog or listen to a podcast, that's an amazing first step. 
but it's a whole nother game to actually like talk back and forth with the coach, learn the vocabulary, see that it's normal to talk about these topics and practice with the coach so that then when you go off in your life with your date with your partner, it's easier to talk about these conversations. You said that people who are sex coaches tend to have better sex life. Would you speak to that? Yeah, I think definitely the major difference we see with our coaches and what I kind of call lay people (laughs) is their complete openness and ability to talk about these topics without shame. I mean, so I feel like if you're a coach or a professional in this field, you go on a first date, it's very easy from the get-go to say, you know, I'm really enjoying flirting with you or just really openly honest, say what you mean or, hey, like I am looking to go home with someone tonight. Like, what do you enjoy in bed? And I feel like it's so rare for people not in the industry to say things like that so openly and honestly. But if you think about it, if I was with someone that I was attracted to and they said they were having fun flirting with me, I'd be so flattered and so excited. But we we can't we like have so much shame around sentences like that. Completely. I heard a friend of mine say recently that she was with a guy and he said, I really want to kiss you. Can I kiss you? And she said, and this is somebody who works in the sex space, and she said it was the hottest thing she had heard. Just like, I mean, that makes me feel a little like, ooh, just, yeah. just saying it. It's There's something about that, the anticipation, which I think gets missed in a lot of conversations around consent, is that actually consent can be really hot. Right. I mean, you want to hear someone say that they want you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Right. seem kind of basic, doesn't it? And yet because of all these other forces that have us going like, oh, don't talk about that. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How has all of this influenced your journey, your personal journey? I think that I, I mean, if I look back about the relationships and sex I was having, you know, like six years ago when I was still living in Tennessee and before I founded my organization, I think it's just like so dramatically different. I feel like I'm just like very, very open about these topics and you know, going on dates and I have a partner and, you know, we've been able to. It's funny because I when I first started dating my current partner, Carly, I had an early conversation about like what I enjoyed in bed and asked what she enjoyed in bed. And she just completely froze because she had never, ever been asked questions like that. Yeah. (laughs) But this was, you know, over two years ago. So it's funny to think about, like, we have no problems talking about it now. But it it was, you know, I feel like for a lot of people, it's new to openly talk about these topics. Completely. And I know I've had to learn to kind of temper certain things in different scenarios Mm -hmm. where not because I feel like I should shy away and not say something, but because... Meeting someone in their comfort zone can be important if you're trying to relay a message. So I remember when I first started my blog series, that's where Girl Boner came from. And I was like so excited. And I was talking about sex ed and everyone's cool about talking about sex ed. And then I threw a whole bunch of dildos up there and I had it all over Facebook with these pictures of dildos. And I got this message from somebody who was like, could you change the picture on that blog post? Because I'm seeing dildos everywhere. And I realized, oh my gosh, like, I can't assume that everybody else is yay dildo right now. Like, <laughs> it it kind of has yeah. to be a, a process. And, and that's a fine line sometimes. Like I, you want to change the culture and work within it at the same time. Definitely. Yeah. I, I've had my own struggles with that. I feel like I'm always code switching. You know, like I feel like I've done some other, you know, interviews with people. And so with you, I feel like I can be completely open. But I've also been on 
podcast about like Christian sexuality. And so it's like, okay, I got to switch it up now. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. I had a writing client that wanted me to write about female orgasms without using the word orgasm. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, wow. And That's at first challenge. I was really frustrated. I'm like, ah, we can't, how can we, you know, I got into that rage sp- space for a moment. And then I thought, wait a minute. If, if they are not allowed to do that because of their audience, that audience probably especially needs some support. So why get not get over your own self and put your ego on the floor and just like, okay, how can I work with that? What can I say instead? And how can we start somewhere? You know, how do you navigate those kinds of challenges and other challenges you reach? Because I know working in the sexuality space can be difficult because of the stigma. Completely. I think we've had to learn at Juicebox that we have to meet the client where they're at. And we have different coaches. The way it works is we pair a coach with you individually based on what your needs are. So there's onboarding questions and you describe what you're looking to work with. And we kind of compare you with what you're at. So do you need a more advanced coach to talk to you about kink and BDSM and advanced sex toys? Or are you at the stage where you can't even really say the word sex out loud? And so we really pair you with a different coach depending on that. How do people respond? What have you heard from clients who use the app? I mean, I think the transformation stories is what I really love. We've seen people go from, you know, barely being able to say some of these words out loud to, oh, now they're having sex with their partner way more often and way more pleasurably. And it's usually over a few months. But I think that's what I'm excited to see. And we're completely inclusive. So that's exciting to see that we're not just speaking to the sex geeks out there. We're reaching people that maybe are in more conservative areas or don't have access to this type of information. But then also, of course, we still have products out there for the sex geek crowd. Something for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's really beautiful. I have to ask because I know that Facebook can be a little tricky for this kind of content. Have you had challenges promoting your company online? Oh, yeah. I think all the challenges a small startup has we're having, but also it's just confounded by the fact that we're working in the sexuality space and then also that I'm a woman. So a lot of, I don't know if your audience knows, but startups in you know the Bay Area and, and venture capital investors, only about 2% of all the venture capital funding out there goes to startups funded by women or founded by women. 2%. Yeah. So it's huge. (laughs) And then also with like Facebook and Google, they have extremely conservative policies around advertising with these topics. I think it's worse than what I even thought. I thought, oh, they probably don't let you use photos of dildos. Okay. I guess I can understand why they think that. But we've even been blocked for using the word pleasure or uh, an image of a woman with like a v-neck tee that just barely shows a little bit of cleavage has been blocked. But what's the most frustrating is that all of our erection ads always get approved and they always run. Isn't that bizarre? It's bizarre, but also not shocking given what we know. But it's really frustrating, especially because if you go to other spaces that are catering toward a, a cis male straight audience, you will see all kinds of pictures of boobs. And that's okay. But if we're trying to empower women and talk about sex or sexuality, there's just, do you think it's intentional or do you think it's kind of a, a brainwashing that they have absorbed too? These people who are just like, oh, that's, that's vulgar. And they aren't actually thinking, oh, because it's a woman. Well, I think what we try to argue is that for whatever reason, society has tied um, erections to health. 
Like it's a men's health. And I feel like with women, orgasms and all of that is not at all tied with our fundamental health. It's just tied with, you know, kind of dirty pleasure in yeah. their minds. And, and I maybe s- you'll experience it. Right. And so we've we've tried to really start, you know, pitching juice box as health and wellness to try to impact, you know, the advertising policies and get past them. I think actually what will need to happen is a larger conversation about Facebook and Google and those platforms about is it, you know, impacting our freedom of speech? Because they do have a monopoly. It's not like I can say, okay, oh, well, I don't want to work with Facebook. I'll go to the other giant social media platform. (laughs) You know, there's not really a second option. And Mm -hmm. so I think if they make these policies, it does impact our freedom of speech because they have a monopoly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where did the name come from, Juicebox? (laughs) Well, I think we've always used fruit motif as kind of a theme because they're kind of sexual innuendos, but also not intimidating and they stay approachable. And so when we were doing a lot of user research and testing, actually a few of our users said, oh, you should call it Juicebox. And after more than one user said that, I was like, wow, this is a a great theme. And it tested well. I think people are not at all shy to have an app called Juicebox on their phone. No one thinks it's the scary sex app. And we have like passcode features so that you don't have to worry about anyone getting into your app if they use your phone. So Juicebox can stay like an innuendo, box is slang for vagina, it's juicy material, but also it's you know, fun and innocent. I like that. And I love that you are listening so much to the people who use it It, for everything, even the title. Oh, yeah, definitely. I I mean, I try to keep Juicebox completely user driven. We have conversations with our users every week. It's super important value to us. That's awesome. What's your biggest goal moving forward? I think I just want as many people as possible to be able to access us. Accessibility is huge for us. That's why we have the free features. But then beyond that, I think I'm our mission really is to make a more pleasurable world. So that means helping people be able to have these conversations with their partners and, and learn new skills. Like we have exercises and guides and scripts in the app where you can put in your difficult conversations that you're having and it'll just reorganize the script for you like a a little bot does it so that you can like text it or email it to your partner or just get in the right headspace before you go and have these conversations. I think a lot of people feel alone and lost navigating these topics. And I really want to help eliminate that and eliminate the shame. Can couples use it as well? We don't have a feature right now for couples to link their account, but we do have couples that use it separately and we can pair you with the same coach. I like that. That's nice because then you have your own individual space, which I think Mm -hmm. is really important. I feel like the idea that I know for myself, I believed even without thinking about it for the longest time that my sexuality had to be part of a pairing. It It wasn't like it was mine first. So having your own erotic space, even if you're in a relationship, I think really helps breed um, passion and pleasure and autonomy. Definitely. I agree. I mean, I think when you're doing a couple's, like if we link to the app, I think some people would never really be able to be completely honest in that space. And so I think I agree with you that it's it's separate. Yeah, yeah. What is the biggest challenge besides the accessibility um, that as a as a sex based company, are you able to go to public spaces, places that are not sex exclusive? You know, it's hard. I think in some cases, 
people feel like it might be inappropriate for the setting or the audience. So we have done like public events where we hand out things, but we're always at some point someone's like, hey, can you go stand over there on the corner? You know, those sorts of things happen. Yeah, yeah. I hear from a lot of guy listeners who are trying to navigate the Me Too era or the kind of the elevating of the Me Too conversations. And I feel like this could be a really helpful tool because people are looking for guidance and like, how do I deal with this situation? What do I say? Do you find, is that coming up a lot in your... You know, I've actually been happy to see some really thoughtful men coming to us and using the app. And we try really hard to make people feel very comfortable talking about this. Like, I know a lot of men feel like if they say the wrong thing, they're just going to be crucified. And so we feel like we want to give them this completely private space where they can really have no filters with the coach. And then the coach can, you know, better guide them and direct them. Because I, like I said, I think a lot of men are feeling lost and alone. And they feel like maybe there are new rules, even though I think you and I know there aren't new rules. (laughs) But we're just (laughs) happy that it's now being discussed way more uh, in the public. And so we definitely see men come to us. They want to make sure they're not being creepy or they want to know they're using the dating apps the right way. And I think we what's funny is that actually as we teach our male clients how to better approach women, they're getting on more dates and actually getting laid more, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I think if you if you approach it the right way and you're not creepy or not you know, dominant or abusive, it's going to work out way Thank better. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, it's actually, it's not about withholding anything. It's about being really respectful and then you get a whole lot of rewards and not being respectful because you're trying to get something, right, which is a different thing. I don't know that that's respectful, actually. You know, it's not the strategy, the whole, because there's so many dating rules that really creep me out. Yeah, I hate the pickup artists. I just want to say that right now. That's not at all who we are. We're not about seduction or tricking or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's so good to hear. There's there's some really scary rules out there. And it's unfortunate because people are really looking for information. And unfortunately, a lot of the stuff that's out there can be you know, not so helpful. There's wonderful information too, but to be able to have a professional, how do you choose your coaches? Well, so my background is in public health. And so in the beginning, I hired a few of my colleagues that I had worked with in my old organization in Tennessee. And then from there, they just referred their colleagues. So these people are all vetted. They've been working in the industry for a minimum of five years. Usually they're either PhDs in human sexuality or some of them are therapists, but they actually must be specialized in the sex space. So that's our big differentiator because a lot of therapists actually don't know much about sex. So we're looking for the people that specialize in that and are certified coaches and counselors. That's so great because I've gotten a number of questions from listeners who are having trouble with an issue and they are in therapy. But either they aren't comfortable bringing it up because the, it's not a sex therapist or the sex therapist or the therapist is not a sex therapist. So they're not quite comfortable. So it's nice to know that there is that specific space where they can be anonymous and also know that this is somebody who specializes. Right. Because it's important. I don't understand why we separate the relationship vertical from the sex vertical from the dating vertical. Like I hate that. And I want to put them all in the same space, which is what Juicebox does. And we can help you with everything from 
you know, you're having a relationship argument or you really want to learn how to eat pussy better. I mean, it's like either one, our coaches can do whatever you need to That's be done. That's awesome. Without having to worry about people looking over your shoulder while you're Googling or all that kind of stuff. Because we all have questions and it's all fascinating. That's really cool. I love that. So tell people how they can get involved. I know that you have a, a special you're offering. Well, actually, we're able to offer all of your listeners a completely free five-day trial of the one-on-one coaching. You just need to use the code GIRLBONER, and you can download the app from the App Store. Just type in Juicebox, one word. Beautiful. And if they want to find you online, do you have presence there, too? Yeah, we're Juicebox app on Instagram and Twitter, and then our website is juiceboxit.com. Thanks so much for being here and for the work that you're doing and that you've been doing since you were like tiny. That's amazing. I'm really inspired. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you again, Brianna. I hope everyone who enjoys Juicebox will let me know what they thought. I'd love to hear from you. Hit me a note at augustmclaughlin.com. Now for our listeners question. This question came from someone we are going to call Frankie upon her request. She wrote this. I have a sexual secret. I've never told a soul. A little weird maybe that I'm sharing it with you where it could go very public, but I'm okay with that since it's anonymous. You can call me Frankie. I'm extremely attracted to body hair. I especially get turned on by hairy backs. I don't know why. I've been this way since I was about 13. My boyfriend is Armenian and has a lot of body hair, which is not why I'm with him, but definitely it's a plus. The problem here is he wants to get it lasered off. I told him it's up to him, of course, but I would be lying if I said I didn't care. I've told him I like it, but he doesn't know how much. I fantasize about hairy backs and even try to find hairy person porn sometimes. You can laugh. It's okay. I know I can tell you this without being judged, so there it is. I would also love to hear what you and your good doctor think about this. Also, congratulations on your book. Thank you so much for your question, Frankie, and for those kind words about my book. That means so much to me. And you're right. We are not laughing at you. I think it's a beautiful thing that you felt comfortable sharing with all of us. There is absolutely no judgment, and I promise you, you are far from alone. Hair fetishism, it actually has a name, a couple of other names too, hair partialism and hair trichophilia. There's also paraphilia, which is where a person is aroused by having their um, the head hair cut or shaved, or by cutting somebody else's hair, or by watching someone's hair get cut, or by seeing someone with a shaved head or with very short hair. No one knows for certain how many people have these kinds of fetishes, but I think that's because there's a lot of secrecy around it, and some people do feel shame. But again, there's no shame in having desires or fantasies. That certainly doesn't hurt anybody, right? It's just that you're feeling excited. That's a good thing. And there are reportedly as many as 459 types of paraphilia. In other words, I'm guessing a lot of people find body hair erotic and sexually arousing. And given that hairlessness trends of late... I bet many people listening who love or have a lot of body hair or even just are into like pubic hair, you know, when so much gets waxed away or lasered away, I think they're probably feeling comforted right now by this question and by this topic because they're jazzed about this appreciation. And and I also just love that you see so much beauty in it. Here are some thoughts from the good doctor, Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com. Frankie, thanks so much for this question. And I just want to start even by commenting that it's amazing there are places like Girl Boner that you can, of course, ask these questions. And 
um, Girl Wonder and many places in the internet in general, right? It really gives us the freedom to no longer have to be alone in things because when we are alone and holding secrets, especially if there's any hint of shame or guilt, it can be really toxic. I often say to my clients, it's like the great and powerful Oz and then you pull the curtain and it's like the little man. And so sometimes when we can shed light on things, um, it really has a, an amazing power to make them um, almost dissipate, right? Certainly not have a lot of, again, tension, shame or guilt surrounding them. So again, thanks so much for answering, asking this question. Um, and I also want to just say that, you know, as you said, I would never laugh. Like there's never a dumb question and there's no judgment ever, only curiosity and a desire to help. And I just want to say not only for myself, but any therapist and certainly depending on the nature of uh, your challenge or sexual interest or arousal, you might want to find a specialist, right? Who, um, that is well within their wheelhouse, so to speak. Uh, but just letting you know in general, anyone who's committed to the profession, it really is a profession about holding space, undoing aloneness, and certainly no judgment. Um, so then going back to that, you know, how we even feel about hair changes all the time and over time, right? Like in the 1960s, there was no such thing as manscaping, right? Hair was all the rage and that was underarms, legs, pubic, and for both men and women. So, you know, if you were in the 60s, um, you'd, you'd probably find, you wouldn't even have to be seeking hairy porn, right? You could find it uh, just going to your local pool since it's summertime. Anyway, but coming back to you, listen, sometimes there's a physiological component. I mean, if you think about... Um, Darwinism, you know, the idea that hair is part of uh, natural selection, right? Hair is also part of testosterone and testosterone is a part of, um, you know, men being sort of those big protectors, right? So there's probably a, you know, uh, sociological route as well as the psychology because anytime something's eroticized, whether it's shoes or feet or um, in this case, hair, right? Sometimes it has a deeper meaning. And so a great resource for that that I always recommend is the book by Michael Bader, which is uh, The Secret Logic of Sexual Fantasies. I think it's a great read. And then, you know, it really tries to highlight that often what we've historically um, defined as paraphilias or fetishes, uh, that there often is sort of a, a psychological meaning around uh, making sense of how and why that has become a turn on. Um, and then coming back specifically to you and this, your current situation, I think, and I learned this from Stella Resnick, who's on the West coast, uh, a therapist, she said, you know, always ask for what you want, ask for it nicely and be prepared to hear no. And so around that, I think, listen, you did share with him that you like hair, but as you said, I don't think he has an understanding of how much you like hair or how much it turns you on. And he might just honestly be thinking you're trying to be polite because often culturally sort of manscaping now is the rage. And um, he probably has a sense that most women or he maybe has previous partners, right? That um, really were turned off or didn't like his hair. So the fact that it's one of your big turn-ons, I think you really need to have that open and honest conversation. Because then ultimately together, right? I do absolutely respect the part where he's like, I want him to make his own decision for himself. Absolutely. But you want him to make an informed decision because I don't know if he gets how much of a turn on this is for you. And then together you can figure out the best solution. And even recognizing, as I say that, there's something between permanent laser and even just trying on 
you know, shaving or waxy, just to have an experiential felt sense of like, huh, is it or isn't, is it or is it not a turn on for you both? And really what is the preference? So honestly, I think it's amazing that you asked this question. I think I encourage you to have this conversation, really let them know, explore for yourself why this is such a turn on. And because it is such a turn on, how you can incorporate it uh, into your sexuality and your sex life. So as always, can't wait to hear how it goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I loved what she shared about hair trends and how they change and also about having that vulnerable conversation because that really is where the most growth happens. I also wonder if there may be ways to engage in body hair fetishes without any or as much hair on your partner. So for example, could you role play? You know, maybe he could wear a body suit that has hair, for example, or you could watch some hairy body scenes you mentioned together before or during sex. It may also be a great opportunity to find out if your partner has some fantasies that he'd like to play out. It sounds like maybe you haven't talked about whether either of you has fetishes. That could be really exciting. What if he's into something really unique and hasn't felt necessarily comfortable saying it? And as Dr. Megan said, he may make a completely different decision about his hair if he really gets how much it turns you on. Because I imagine it's possible he's partly doing it for you, like thinking, oh, she's being so nice by saying, yeah, no, I like it. But if if he knows that you're like gaga for it, maybe he would keep it. But regardless, like you said, it's his decision. I think it's so awesome that you want to support that because we all want that in a partner and we all want to, you know, provide that, that comfort in however they want to present themselves. And I have a feeling you will end up enjoying his body and its specifics no matter what decision he makes. So we are wishing you the very best of luck. If any of you out there have a question, please reach out to myself or to Dr. Megan. You can find us on social media. There's facebook.com forward slash my girl boner. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Just search for the hashtag girl boner or from my name. And if you're enjoying girl boner radio, thank you so much. You can subscribe on iTunes on your little purple smartphone app. You can also follow along on iHeartRadio or Spotify. And again, my book Girl Boner is available on Amazon and you can actually search for it now. I'm very happy about that. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.